This is an AMI podcast. Hey guys, it's uh, Tuesday, the 22nd of February, 2023. I am Stephen Scott. This is Double Tap from Vienna in Austria. You're listening to Double Tap, your daily accessible technology show. Now, from the Zero Project Conference held at the United Nations in Vienna, Austria, here's your hosts, Stephen Scott and Sean Priest. Oh, hello, hello, hello. How are you, Sean Priest? You weren't meant to be here today. Quite puzzled. Yes, yeah, so why am I here? I was expecting a week off. I mean, I'm not in Vienna. Ah, Vienna. But you are. So why am I here? Uh, well, because yes, Marka Flala was meant to be here. Yes, and uh, there was a slight technical problem that many oh. couldn't be. You know, this this has happened before. Yeah, I, I'm sensing Mark. a pattern. There's, there's, he's got form on this. <laughs> he sends you abroad, and this leaves you. There. <laughs> I think he just likes sending me abroad to places, and then just leaving me there. You've been ghosted. Well done, Mark. Hope everything's <laughs> going well with you, sir. <laughs> yes, Mark isn't uh, able to come with us this week uh, to Vienna, but uh, you know what? We do have someone in his place, someone who, frankly, is, uh, you know, I think a bit of an enigma on our show. Someone who, mm. you know, people talk about, they talk about at parties, um, not always in a good way, and it is the one and only <laughs> Mr. F. Live from Vienna. It's Mr. Oh, F. Where yeah. was the fanfare? God bless you, Mr. F. Oh, oh I am I know. so I was excited. Expect, I was expecting the spooky fanfare I got when I joined you guys in London, England, uh, about almost a year ago. Yeah, I can give you this one. How about this? Breaking news. Breaking news. Breaking news. Yeah, okay, that's fine. We'll, we'll do, just go with that. Okay, yeah. Um, the man yes. who didn't bring the jingles with him. Yeah, I actually I brought, <laughs> I brought nothing else, but I brought jingles. Uh, jingles and they, um, uh, they wet actually, wipes. They confiscated the jingles at the border, Sean. <laughs> Of course, about time. <laughs> no, I've also got wet wipes. I carry wet wipes. Why is it I take wet wipes everywhere I go? I uh, just shake my head. I don't yeah, know. there's no rule. Yes, answer please, to that, let's not go there. Um, so, how are you two doing? How is Vienna? It's, do you know what? I have to tell you, I have no idea. I mean, I, I arrived in the dead of night. I got up this morning and I came here on Andy's arm. Andy audio described, Mr. F, I should say, oh. just to be yeah, clear. Yeah, get it straight. Yeah. Uh, Mr. F uh, dragged me here earlier today, he told me about the, he audio described the surroundings, which he said to me, there are two buildings that are sort of around, and that was it. And then well, we walked into should, them. You should work for the tourist board. I mean, oh, it's I like should. I'm there. That was a beautiful yeah. description. The architecture, the uh, ambiance of Vienna, it's meant to be amazing. Sean, Have you, you been want- in a gondola yet? Sean, somewhere if, else. If you want the truth, I'll tell you about some of my audio description. I described the graffiti on the wall of a tunnel that we walked. Oh, that was to. good. Yeah, that was good. Uh, and oh. there was some, you know, some interesting language being used. Uh, Do you want to tell, tell people that? Was that was? No, I'm not. But it's a. But let's just say there's a. It's a, it's a actively bilingual country here. And um, I have to say, I don't disagree with the sentiment on it either. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and then, and then I, t- I talked about some of the floor textures, uh, some of the bike lanes, and uh, other you know idiosyncrasies that Stephen uh, needed to know, and uh, mm. you know the glass doors that we were approaching, and, and then we have to go through an airport style security, all that stuff. And I gave him the wow. whole play by play, Sean. And I got no respect. My, no, it, <laughs> it sounds enthralling. 
The oh yeah, it was enthralling, all right. Yeah, no, it definitely was. Uh, but listen, we've got lots to talk about today because this is a great opportunity for us to to get to know what the Zero Project conference is all about. We are, of course, traveling here to Vienna, Austria, to to learn all about all the wonderful things that are going on. And what's also quite cool about this is we've met loads of Canadians. We have. And, and Stephen, you should probably know that right now, as we're recording this particular segment, uh, Stephanie Cadieux has just rolled up. Wow, there you go. Live. Hello. Hello. <laughs> is this this wasn't what you were expecting, right? You weren't expecting just to come on the show live. Oh, were it's you? fantastic! It was supposed to be. It was supposed to be tomorrow, wasn't it? It was. Yeah. Okay. Well, well let's just do now. it tomorrow yeah. as well. Let's right. just, you know what? We don't need Sean, so we could just yeah. ditch him, and you could stay. Let, let's do proper introductions. Yes. Um, wow. On uh, joining us um, on the line from Manchester, UK, Sean Priest. Hi, Sean. Hello. How are you? And <laughs> he's, uh, he's, he's so nervous. It's so funny. My name is Andy Frank, and I'm uh, producing this particular event, and uh, sitting over here is Mr. Stephen Scott, the star of our show. And uh, please introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Stephanie Cadu. I'm Canada's first chief accessibility officer. How's that? What about that? Hey. What, a wow. coup. what a coup to have you oh, on our show. I am I'm so pleased. so nervous right now. <laughs> the government's it's like here. the king and queen's joined our podcast, our show here. It's, it's, I'm scared. You should be scared, Sean. I do not okay. have a tiara. Yeah. So, I'm yeah. Why not? <laughs> I'm bowing. <laughs> so, I mean, we were, and look, we'll, we're going to get a proper conversation with you to talk about your role. Sure. But, you know, tell us, for people who aren't aware, I'm sure most people, certainly our listeners in Canada, are aware of you and your role. But for those who don't know, what, what is it you do? Well, uh, in 2019, when the Accessible Canada Act was passed, which, uh, and it's, it's a very bold act um, that is... Uh, it has, it has made a statement in Canada that the federal government will proactively remove barriers um, to ac- accessibility and inclusion across the federal jurisdiction uh, and into sectors of society that govern that the federal government um, has control over. And it, it, the the proactivity part is that is the part that's important. Mm. Um, all of the entities within government now have to create an accessibility plan in consultation and, uh, and in cooperation with people with disabilities to suss out where they have barriers to inclusion and to set a plan in place to remove them. Um, the goal is a barrier-free Canada by 2040. And as a part of the Act, my role uh, and the role of the Accessibility Commissioner and the role of Accessibility Standards Canada um, that were three entities put in place by the Act my role is uh, Chief Accessibility Officer, is as an independent advisor to the minister responsible for the act, um, to, to report to her, at this time it's a her, uh, on the uh, progress of implementing the act and any impediments thereto, um, any, any um, trends happening internationally, like we're here today uh, to learn about, um, that might affect what we do in Canada, uh, and where we can uh, lead, and and where we can uh, help influence in other places. But this is huge, right? I mean, th- this role is huge for for the disability community in Canada. Hearing about this, hearing about you and your role, and you're disabled yourself, right? I am. So, hearing about that must have been massive. What what kind of feedback are you getting from people? Um, amazing feedback, and and you know, I'm really pleasantly surprised by the level of engagement amongst uh, the federal public service. Um, 
they are very much aware of the work that needs to be done. Trepidatious as well, yeah. I think, uh, about the scope of that work and, and what it will take to achieve it. Um, but it's okay. A little bit of scared, a little bit of being scared is okay as long as we move forward. Um, and so my role really is there uh, to be that champion with inside, inside government um, and to, to help push the agenda forward um, and to make sure that nobody forgets about this work or thinks that it's something that you check off a list um, because it certainly is not that and we know that and, and it will evolve as we go. So does that mean that we'll, you know, as, as blind Canadians, for example, all get JAWS for free? Or screen reader. Right, is that is that the deal? Are you promising that? that Please be lovely. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, for those that don't know me, uh, I was uh, I, I left I left my previous role in April of last year to take this job, and my previous role was as an elected official in British Columbia for 14 years or 13 years. Um, so, I, as much as I would love to say yes, uh, I know that would that would be uh, yeah. <laughs> not a smart move on I'm my part. I'm just winding you up. Um, but, <laughs> but but what is what is important? Um, is that the, the Act recognizes that access to communications technology, access to, um, to the built environment, access in all, in all forms is essential. Yeah. It's essential for people's participation in society, for their participation in employment, for their participation uh, in elections. And so um, through this work, I would expect that we will see um, many moves many moves, uh, both inside government and beyond, because this work is going to have to permeate through provinces, municipalities, and into civil society and into the corporate world. And in, in all cases, there are leaders in all of those places um, that are seeing the importance of this, much as what we are seeing here at this conference. Mm. Um, Canada is going to be a microcosm of that as well. I want to ask you about employment because that is one of the biggest areas that really unites the disability community, access to jobs. Mm -hmm. No different in Canada, mm -hmm. right? The number of disabled people just too high. Mm -hmm. How do you go about fixing that? What is the process with that? And how does this act help that? Well, uh, government seeks to be a leader in it. Uh, I think that's a, that's a big statement. The federal government has set a goal of hiring 5,000 people with disabilities into the public service. Um, and there are... They are well underway with that. They are learning uh, as they go about that what it will take. Um, there are pilots uh, around uh, hiring people who are neurodivergent, for example, into the public service, and what will that take, and how will they be How can we ensure that they are successful? But it's also about changing that conversation about, um, you know, what are you bringing versus what do you need to be successful here? Um, and that's a that's an important culture shift that has to happen. And I, that that culture shift have culture shift has to happen not just in government, but they can lead, um, but in the, in the private sector as well, if we're going to be successful in hiring people with disabilities into employment across the board. And I think, that's, I think it's really important. It's an area of focus for me over the last 13 years as an elected official. The progress has not been as fast as it should, um, and there is much more to do. Okay. Yeah. I, Talking of that, Stephanie, about the culture shift mm -hmm. and how, how much time that takes. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> The, the deadline of 2040, people may listen to 2040 and think, wow, that, that's quite a long 
time away. Do you think it's it's helpful for to to give those sort of deadlines, or do you think it it makes people think that this is something that's going to take so long? I'm not really going to notice it. But as as we all know, in reality, there's no change you can no magic wand you can do that can do this tomorrow, right? No, I wish it was done 30 years ago. Um, I'm as yeah. impatient as anyone on this, and and I think that's that's the big piece for people with disabilities. The progress will never be fast enough. Um, for the rest of society, uh, this will be lightning speed if we get this done, right? And <laughs> because realistically, there are there are a lot of complexities to the work, um, yeah. and we have to be aware of that. And we think it's fair to be pragmatic about it. Um, let's take the let's take the steps we can take that are quick, and let's work on the ones we need to take that are going to take longer. But the culture shift, I think, is the hardest part because people don't understand that they are playing a part in that culture. Um, where that culture is negative for people with disabilities, where that culture needs to change, people, people, many people don't realize that they are, they are a part of the problem, and so in order to shift that culture to a place, uh, to a place where people are included and people are valued for what they bring to the table, and where people see that uh, p- that providing accommodation is not, uh, is not a must to do, it's not a duty to accommodate, it's not a, a legal requirement, but in fact. It is just the right thing to do, to bring that person, um, their skills, their talents, their innovation, into the into the business, into the into the organization. Um, it's a shift we have to make, but it will take time. I'm curious as to what your role is here at the conference at the Zero. Have you have you taken part in Zero Project before? I have not been a part of Zero Project before. Wow. I have watched online. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm here this time. Uh, I'll be presenting uh, on a panel of, uh, tomorrow um, about innovations that that uh, across various governments, um, and uh, and expect uh, to be imparting some information, uh, but definitely learning learning a lot as well. It's a remarkable conference. There's um, about a thousand delegates here, which is great, especially and so you know on the tails of. Uh, COVID and all that other stuff uh, that that all these uh, these folks are over here and it's a very passionate group and uh, as we're going to be hearing as we go on uh, with the show um, you know these are these are people who who it, it, it's it's not sexy work it's work that it's is work. it's really it's it's speak for yourself well because <laughs> I'm not there <laughs> oh god we're losing control already <laughs> this didn't take long. lost it a long time ago <laughs> yeah I think so <laughs> you've had your show then I'm guessing yeah um, but I think the thing for us, I mean, you know, obviously our show is focused on tech and that's what we talk about. Yeah. And tech is a huge part of all this as well. How much involvement do you have in that side of things? Because I'm kind of joking around earlier about free screen readers for all. But, you know, tech is a big part of, of the world for, for blind people in particular, but of course for all disabled people. Yeah. Um, inaccessible websites, for example, is one area where the government can really get involved in right and yeah. because by creating re- regulation by creating laws mm-hmm. things will start to change it, it's just it's a fact that's the way it is mm-hmm. I, I spent many many years as a person with a disability um, thinking that that if you just told people how important it was that people would see it was important and they would do the right thing and uh, my tune has changed somewhat over the years and I now believe we need we need more stick less carrot um, and and so I do think that that we need more regulation, more law around this, and the Accessible Canada Act is is one mechanism by which that will happen. Um, we will see 
regulations on various on various things come into place over time. Um, the standards agency will, or Accessibility Standards Canada standards agency will put those uh, standards forward um, for for adoption. So I think it's important, but this work is going on worldwide, obviously, um, and and we want as much as possible for those standards to apply everywhere equally. Mm-hmm. Um, it will be a lot simpler for everyone if we knew what to expect everywhere. Um, and we would, and that if because it's a global problem, do, isn't exactly. it? Exactly. So, the, yeah. so it's a lot of. Uh, I think that's why conferences like this are important to to meet people, um, to engage on what's going on elsewhere. What 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 are the trends? Where are things going? Um, and and make sure that we do that work uh, as much as we can in a way that is aware of the world around us. Thank you so much for coming along. I, I mean, I wasn't expecting to do the interview right now, but hey, we've done it. It worked <laughs> well, out really go. well. We'll see you again tomorrow. Thank nice you so much. That Bye, was Sean. really, really kind. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Nice to meet you. This is how we do it here at Double Tap, you see. It just, just, you know, just happens, right? It's, it's the, the Mr. F factor. He just brings the, people along yes, like that. It's the Mr. F factor. That's right. That's what the F, that's what the F stands for, Sean. It stands for a lot of things. Um, <laughs> but, oh, God. <laughs> I lobbed that ball right in down the middle for you Stephen really to walk you out of the park. You just opened that door, and oh I just God. went for it. Um, that was really interesting. It just, was. Just that, that was, and it's, it, that has, I think, Sean. You know, that right away, you're getting a sense of what this conference is like. People coming up and just having conversations, and just, you know, we, we've learned a lot today. Just sitting here having conversations with so many interesting people about yeah. this subject of right, what disability is, what can be done to improve the lives, but also recognize progress as well. I think that's the other thing I've noticed, that there are a lot of problems, a lot of challenges, but there are a lot of solutions already out there. And that the Zero, Pro- the Zero Project Conference, from my understanding, Andy, is that this is what it's for. It's about people coming along, especially the awardees. And maybe we should talk a little bit about that. Mm-hmm. Because there are, what, 74 awardees? <clears throat> 71 this year. 71, right. Yeah. So 71 people who are essentially brought here by this conference by the organizers of this conference to come here and share what they've done in their communities and this is from around the world and these 71 people in this particular case were not just randomly selected there's a whole very complex process whereby a jury essentially a pool of somewhere around 6,000 people weigh in strategically it's all done very, very, uh, almost, almost military. Like it's just done so well and organized uh, that uh, people who are nominated and then longlisted and then shortlisted, all those things, um, and the, the 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 judgment of whether or not your um, uh, what what it is that you're doing to advance the cause of uh, uh, that zero project is preaching. That is to say, a world with zero barriers um, is. Um, is scalability is a huge factor. So no matter how small your progress, no matter where in the world you've done it, if you can make that scale scalable, if you can make that happen in Germany, let's say, and let's say you came from, I don't know, a small, a small country. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and they can adapt what it is that you've done in a larger country. That's a huge feather in the cap of, uh, of a potential awardee. And the other one is, um, of course, the, you know, the, uh, the the sharing of this knowledge with others and sharing it, uh, the, the ability to share it around the world and um, and and make people aware of it and to come to a conference like that and share your experience. 
uh, and to share it with the media and so on. That's one of the reasons AMI is here is, you know, we can play a role in, uh, in sharing some of these innovations and some of these, um, these brilliant achievements uh, that maybe mainstream media doesn't really care about. Yeah. We're going to come back to this because we're going to be joined later by a very interesting man, Thomas Butcher who is going to tell us about his role. Uh, he has a, also a really interesting story to tell Sean about uh, where he comes from, because with his accent, you will assume he's living somewhere in a little quaint uh, village in Englandshire, not Manchester. Ooh. I should be clear on that. Huh. Uh, I said quaint village, not <laughs> <Okay>. sprawling <laughs> city of nightmares. Um, Dystopian nightmare. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, but, but actually not. No, it's really interesting, his story of, of where Thomas ended up and also what, how he got involved with Zero Project and his role with it. So we're going to hear from him later. Uh, we're going to take a, just a, a break away from the conference for a minute, though, because, of course, we get so many of your emails. And, Sean, a lot of concern about you. I think that's what I get from the email inbox is concern. Ooh. I mean, I get that a lot anyway. But I'm, you know, yes. getting it more so at the moment. So um, are you doing all right I'm there, worried. Sean? Because people are worried. No, no, no. I am very well. Thank you. I'm uh, I'm on the mend. That's all I can say. I can't quite make it back into the shed yet, but I'm trying. Okay. Well, first up is an email from Callie. She wants to uh, give you her best wishes and also give us some comments on some recent episodes. This email, of course, as always, read by Laura. Hello, Sean and Stephen. Nice to have you back, Sean. Definitely an improvement to have both of you on together to keep each other in line. Maybe. Oof. Sean, I just got rid of my son's little potty and it made me think of you. We were all very glad that at least your potty trained. Phew. Uh. Anyway, I wanted to pitch in a bit on the subject of screen readers. I was diagnosed with aniridia at birth, then glaucoma when I was around 16. My father, along with many other aunts, uncles and cousins, are also blind or visually impaired. I grew up hearing deck talk and then eloquence, which really helped me tremendously to process text-to-speech engines. Then my dad taught me how to touch type around six or seven, but my whole childhood was filled with magnifiers and zoom text – I could still see, so no one thought it was a good idea for me to learn a screen reader. My dad was the only one who gently tried to get me to learn a little. But what did he know? He was just my dad. What would be the point since I still had plenty of vision? Oh, I was so stubborn. I've always been legally blind, but my vision has declined gradually over the years. I can still get by with magnification, but as I got more into tech, smartphones and all that, I began to realise the potential of screen readers, even if I could still get by without using one. It often takes me 10 times as long to read emails and web pages with magnification than with a screen reader. Mm. I can't help but feel that if I had learned how to use a screen reader earlier, I could have been so much more productive in school and work. It would have saved me so much eye strain and headaches. The thing is, I kept feeling that the learning curve was too steep and that it wouldn't be as efficient. What was the point of learning? But when I began experiencing so many screen reader users and what they could do that I couldn't even do with magnification, my mindset started to change. Hmm, maybe my dad did actually know something I didn't. Currently, I mostly use NVDA and sometimes Narrator with Windows Magnifier. I also have a JAWS home license somewhere and use Chromevox on my Chromebook. In my experience, Windows Magnification is more than enough for my needs and is so much less power-hungry than ZoomText. It's very compatible with pretty much any screen reader and general software I've tried. It definitely doesn't crash like ZoomText did for me and doesn't choke up my graphics card when video editing. There's not as many fancy customizable effects with Windows Magnifier, but what it does have is enough for most people, I think. The best thing I've done is learn how to use a screen reader while I also use magnification at the same time. 
I've slowly learned more and better navigation, along with the brain-twisting keyboard shortcuts that are different for each screen reader. If you have the time and the luxury, I really encourage other magnification users to do something similar. It gives you time to acclimatise to something jabbering away at you while still feeling comfortable, since you still have magnification on. Occasionally, I would challenge yourself and turn off magnification or maybe your monitor, but don't be afraid to turn it back on. Over time, it gets easier and you grow to become more confident using a screen reader by itself. Just as I wish I had learned and used Braille as a child, I wish I had learned and used a screen reader as a child. The more someone has at their disposal, the better. If only schools and teachers would give children more tools and encouragement to use these tools. Vision can decline and get worse. It did for me. Sure, you can scramble and learn it when you have to, but is that really the best model for success? I personally don't think so. Yes, my dad was right this whole time. Enough of all my waffle. I would have sent a voice recording, but I think Laura's voice is brilliant and makes me feel like I almost have an accent. Thank you, Laura. Oh, thank you, Sean and Stephen, as well. Hashtag hail to the plant pot. All the best, Harry Morales. <laughs> oh, what a wonderful email, Carrie. What a Fantastic. great ending. That was yeah. a great ending. <laughs> Honestly, we get the best emails. We really do. Uh, but it's, you know, that is, all of that is so true. And it's interesting because I was tweeting about this just the other day. I was saying, Sean, that, you know, that this, this thing around teaching Braille and teaching the access tools like screen readers and all that magnification, you need to teach all of it. Someone came back to me and said, well, you know, it depends on the level of vision. And I'm like, no, no, it's not about level of vision because you're talking about that moment in time. That's the problem for me. I think Kelly is absolutely right, though, about how many of us have said, oh, you know, looking back with hindsight, (laughs) ironically enough, it's it's about uh, I wish I had learned that before I actually needed it. Um, but I think it's it's very very few people that actually are that organised and prepared. I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but most of us just move on to it because we need to. We, you know, we, we realise okay, this isn't working for me now. So, but that transition and using magnification and a screen reader at the same time, I think, is a, a fantastic idea. These aren't mutually exclusive. You know, you can you can sort of transition yourself and get used to them. But everything she said there, I think you could equally say. I, I would say for Braille. You know, it's exactly yes, the same. But exactly. if I was just given those fundamentals way back when, no matter what my vision was like, then it would have been a far easier transition, I think. There is absolutely no doubt in my mind that if I had learned grade two Braille, I'd be so much further forward. Now, granted, I didn't yeah. need Braille for about 20, maybe 10, 15 years. But then when I went back to it, I mean, I picked up that grade one I learned at school. And that was just by chance. I've said this before, but that was just by chance that I learned that. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden I was able to have, you know, when I went back, to, I remember going back to that Braille class in 2018, 19, I think it was. And I remember going in and the first day sitting down and we're doing the ABCs. And I'm going, I know all this. It just it instantly <laughs> yeah. came back, like instantly. Yeah. And it was just brilliant. You know, it was just so good. And I thought, this is what it's all about. This is where, you know, if you have that knowledge and it's built in, it, it's going to stick. As a kid, it always sticks. That's the whole point, you know. Whereas as a as an yeah. adult, you know, I don't know about you, but you know, Mister F, how's your brain? Yeah, right now, it's pretty fried. Yeah, there you go. Right, more fried <laughs> than what fried. we ate last night. Whatever that was. <laughs> yeah, whatever that was. <laughs> there are there are there are some schnitzels that are better than other schnitzels, and uh, I've had better ones than the one we had last night. Wow. I'll be honest. There's I thought the it was quite, title. Yeah, I, I thought it was quite nice, actually. I'll be honest. But then I am Scottish and everything I eat is deep fried, so it kind of worked for me. <laughs> I'm going to take you to a really good schnitzel place before we go. Okay. I Deal. promise. 
Bring me back a schnitzel. That means I'll hate it. Uh, right, let's stick around. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to be talking to Thomas Butcher. Uh, he is a fantastic guy. He's going to be joining us next on Double Tap to tell us all about his role at the Zero Project Conference. We are here in Vienna, Austria. Sean is uh, from his dining room in a bed. It is the most bizarre show on earth. This is Double Tap. <laughs> Follow Double Tap on social media at Double Tap On Air and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts and email us feedback at doubletaponair.com. We'll be right back. This is Double Tap, broadcasting from the Zero Project Conference in Vienna, Austria. Now, back to the show. Stephen and Sean and Mr. F with you today. It is a veritable feast. Uh, Mr. F and I are in lovely Vienna in Austria. Sean is in a dining room, uh, lying in a bed in Manchester, <laughs> England. Yes, and dining no room stroke, stroke bedroom now. Yes, it's my sick room. What can I say? Sick. From my sick bed. Are you still going around in that walker? Um, 50-50. I've moved on from the walker now. So I'm, I'm getting better. I'm getting there. I just can't go up or downstairs. I'm like a Dalek at the minute. <laughs> <laughs> exterminate 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 uh, more uh, was it turkey twizzlers or whatever it is you eat for fun oh yes okay okay mr schnitzel calm down <laughs> wait can i just say going back to the first um segment there i i something that kept coming up was global and i think mm. you know some of the points raised there it just shows that so many of these issues that we face, they are global, right? It doesn't matter what country you're in. And the the, uh, the other word that came up and stuck out to me was was sharing, sharing all these issues and some of the answers to them. I I, I really am missing not, not being there. It sounds like a, a really interesting um, event to be at. Well, I'm not saying that there's anyone around here who can, you know, advocate on your behalf on this you mm. know, to perhaps get you here next year, but maybe yeah, there is. Yeah. Maybe, I, I did, maybe we I did get want Mr. to make that Reece. clear in case anyone with influence... Was uh, God bless you, Mr. F. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just saying. Moving on. Okay. <laughs> Let's. We've, we've got a great chance here to find out a bit more about the conference and actually, you know, learn a little bit about the history of some of the people behind the conference and how it all works. We've got a, a special guest with us uh, sitting to my right here. Uh, we have Tom. Uh, maybe you'd like to introduce yourself, Tom. I'm Tom Butcher. Um, Tom Thomas. Tom Butcher, um, and I'm senior advisor to the Zero Project and a Zero Project ambassador. Um, although you can hear I've got a Brit accent. I'm actually based in Cleveland, Ohio. And, oh, wow. Yeah, and have lived there for, lived in the States for the last 30 years. Well, okay. Well, there's a lot to unpack out of that. And look, okay. first off, welcome to Double Tap. Thank you so much. And welcome. You're our first guest on the show. <laughs> Indeed. I, I'm most honoured. Thank you so much. <laughs> it's great to have you here. So how did you get involved with all of this, first off? Oh, many, many years ago. So um, Michael Fembeck used to be a very high-powered journalist and used to be editor of um, Austria's main uh, business magazine, a kind of mixture between Time and um, The Economist. And um, I met him in New York in 1993. And then when Michael ceased um, and came out from being a journalist and joined with um, Martin Essel um, at the Essel Foundation and set up the what used to be called the um, Essel Social Index, 
um, he asked me whether I would like to become involved since we'd known each other for so many years. So this was back in about 2009. And um, we, I worked and helped him when he produced the first ever Essel Social Index um, publication. And my job was to create the network um, of people from whom we got information abroad. So we started with only 15 countries from which we got information because the whole um, idea behind the Essel Social Index back at that stage was to measure the effectiveness of the United Nations Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities. And um, as people probably know, if you sign it and you are ratify the convention as a country, it is not an aspiration. You do not try to do these. You are obliged legally to do various things under the convention. Which is and important because which is very often important. these things wouldn't yeah, happen. Because they that. would just say to you, okay, we'll, we'll try and do it. Or we've yeah, done yeah, yeah. So what we did was we um, wanted to measure exactly how countries had um, performed. But for us, it was really important not to ask government. Because if you ask government, you're going to get the replies that government want to give you. So what we did was to ask NGOs and we asked other organizations, um, DPOs, dis um, disabled persons organizations, um, actually on the ground for answers. So we hoped that we would get a very, very much better view of what was going on. At least then you're connected to the community. Yes, absolutely. So such things as, um, okay, your buses, are they accessible? Mm. Yes, they are. Um, how many wheelchairs can they? Yes, well, you know, they take two wheelchairs. The unfortunate thing is that the bus drivers aren't actually trained to use the lifts yeah. to bring the wheelchairs up into the buses. So the technology exists. Yes, yeah, technology exists and they put it in place. Or in another country, which will remain nameless, um, unbelievably accessible trains. You can go up and down the corridors in the trains in your wheelchair. However, you can't get from your wheelchair onto the train. Yeah. So this is just such a common... The, yeah, just the yeah. practical things. Anyway, so to cut a very, very long story short, um, this was back in... 2009, 2010, and we changed the name of the project to the Zero Project, which means very simply zero barriers for persons with disabilities. And um, whenever I talk to people, I say, you know, we are totally and utterly neutral politically. We have one agenda item, and that is for a world without barriers. And you can say in German fertig, which means finished, or uh, if I'm in America, period, or full stop. That's, that's it. Yep. And um, the organization and what we do now has grown. And this is our, I think it's our 13th conference. And we are celebrating a 10 years of um, partnership with the United Nations. And I think it's going to be our biggest conference ever this year. And I think we've got maybe a thousand people registered coming from 80 different countries. 
That's incredible. Yeah, sorry, I really witted on there. No, 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 but you're yeah. passionate about this. <laughs> oh, yes, I, yeah. I love it. I mean, um, uh, I am, a, for your listeners, I am a balding, middle-aged, white guy. I know the feeling. Mi- <laughs> <laughs> Give me a break. <laughs> um, I, tell me how a Brit with that accent gets to live in Cleveland, Ohio, oh, and, and, well. and every day gets away with that accent. How does that work? Well, I'll tell you exactly how that happened. <laughs> so, um, I'm in my mid-60s, and so people who know their history will know that in the um, beginning of the 90s, end of the 80s, British government was the kind of rump end of Mr. Major's government and conservative government. One thinks of, shall we say, corruption. And um, I didn't hold with Mrs. Thatcher and I didn't hold with um, Mr. Major either. I also had bought a house on, um, what was it, Black Thursday or Black Monday? I can't remember. Whichever one dodgy one it was. And um, by the time I left for the US, my mortgage rate was, um, I think I was paying something like either 15 or 18%. Yeah. So I was paying more in mortgage than I was actually earning every month. Yeah. So somebody asked me to go to New York and set up the US end of their operation. And so I went to New York um, originally for three months. Um, I never, ever lived in the UK after that. And that was back in 92 so I spent 30 years, um, 28, 29 years in um, New York. And then um, COVID came along. Mm. Uh, my wife's an artist. And um, where she used to go and do her art, which was at a place called the Art Students League in, 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 in New York, um, they had printing presses and she had space and she had studio space. Come COVID, infrastructure goes completely. Yep. Um, as you knew, know, New York is not the cheapest place in the world, so we couldn't actually afford the largest apartment. So we had a wee apartment um, in New York, and um, she was unable really to do her art from the kitchen table, which itself was about a postage stamp size. <laughs> um, so she comes from originally from Northeast Ohio, and we thought of moving, and so we decided, okay, that's it. And we moved to Cleveland Heights, um, which is just outside Cleveland. And we did that, I think, probably in May. What are we now? 23. We did that in May 2021. And you love it. Absolutely wonderful. Yeah. Absolutely wonderful. Um, I some One of my colleagues said, where do you live? She's an American. And I said, oh, oh Cleveland. And she said, oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> and I, I, it was a bit ironic, actually, but I'm not going to tell you why. Um, and I said, you know what? I have not regretted one minute of moving to Cleveland. Yeah, I love it. There is art. There's music. There's culture. We've got everything close to us. I don't even need the car. I bought a new car for my wife, but I'm not even on the insurance. Yeah, um, New York and LA are wonderful places, yeah. but you know, there's yeah. a whole world in between, which is yeah. 
you know, equally as good for many reasons. Yeah, it is. I, I, I really like it. And people are terribly, terribly friendly. Yeah. Um, we have. I know we have listeners in Ohio, so and yeah, I'm oh, sure well, they'll be pleased to hear. Hello, listeners in Ohio. You have an absolutely <laughs> wonderful state, and, and I tell, thoroughly enjoy it. Tell me this. Of yeah. all the, the wonderful things that the Zero Project yes. has done, is there anything that really stands out for you? Is there something that you can, you can, that keeps coming back to your mind that you think, this is why I get up and do this every day. This is why I love being part of this. Yes. Um, there, there are two things, actually. Um, the first one is a very personal one, which is... I love working with Michael Fembeck. And Michael Fembeck is the really the um with Martin Essel is moving force behind the Zero Project. And I was talking with my wife the other day and saying of all the people that I know who have done things towards making the world better. Michael is the one who has done most yeah. of anybody I know of what he's achieved. And um, it's uh, an honor and a pleasure always to work with him. And I only wish I could work with him more. So that's one thing that I think we have done. I also think that we have done something unique in creating a nexus and a hub where people can share ideas and most important people can share solutions and we have always always said we are not the experts but what we will do is put the experts together and one of the reasons for that is that we don't want people to reinvent the wheel the whole time. Yeah, there are lots of great solutions yes, out there. So, People and, are doing it all the time. Yeah, and you might be in Burkina Faso and have an incredible solution, um, but someone, say, in Japan doesn't know anything about it. Yeah. And so I think that's what we've been able to do is to create this amazing community, which is not us, it's everybody else out there. And... Um, I used to work very much in the corporate world and I said, say to people that this is a world where everybody is incredibly friendly to everybody else. Everybody wants to help everybody else. And there used to be an advertisement on, on, on telly, I think in the UK, where someone was asked, um, oh, can you help me? No, but I know a man who can. <laughs> and so, um, you know, I know a woman who can, so... Yeah. This is how the Zero Project works, is if you came along and said, I, you know, I, I have this, I, have the, I need a solution for this. You'll talk to someone, they'll say, well, I don't, but you must talk to so-and-so, you must talk to so-and-so. So those are the, the, I think those are the two things that I think we've achieved, and we've achieved building a community which is second to none. Tom, thank you so much for coming in and talking to us here at our little booth. Uh, apparently, my head is the size of a window over here. Which is it's very mildly nice. Ter it's mildly terrifying. In no, my it's not terrifying at all. It's not out of ten, how does that face look to you? I would put that as eleven and a half. Actually, wow, you're a you're a fantastic diplomat. Oh, you? I know. You're wonderful. I know. At this. You're, you get the job, Tom. Thank <laughs> you so much for coming in. Thank you so much. I really appreciate. Enjoy the it. conference. It's so kind and. It, 
enjoy it yourself as yeah, well and you. have lots of other people you can talk to. And if you want to speak to anybody, you know, just ask me and I'll, I know someone who You'll knows. You know someone who knows yeah, someone. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Thanks Tom. so much. Thank you. Right, Sean, I want to get into some emails here because, uh, you know, we get lots of emails to the show. And even though we're on the move, I thought we still should be keeping in touch with our wonderful audience to send us voicemails uh, to one eight seven seven eight zero three four five six seven. That is, of course, our listener line number. And, of course, emailing us feedback at doubletaponair.com. Uh, so let's do that. Let's go to Eric because he wants to ask or at least answer a question, hopefully, that you have um, about the HomePods. Hello, all. Sean, it is good to hear your voice again. Regarding your initial dissatisfaction with the Apple HomePods, I may have an explanation as to what you are hearing. It is likely some combination of the three following phenomena. 1. The most obvious and likely explanation is that your ears adjusted to the sound of the speakers. Anyone who has ever come into a recording studio booth and sat in front of a pair of Yamaha NS10s or donned a pair of Sony 7506 headphones will understand. At first, they do not sound right, but eventually, <coughs> your ears adjust to the Killed sound. Them. Two, this is a controversial point, but speakers and headphones may require a burn-in period to give drivers a chance to loosen up and produce that chest-thumping bass that we associate with 80s rock. Three, the HomePods have a feature that attempts to compensate for room acoustics. On initial setup, a basic adjustment is made, but as more sound is pumped through the speakers, further refinements are made to get the sound to be just right given the room acoustics. I hope this helps. Blessings, E.T. Eric Thornley, the blind pirate of Lakefield. Oh, it's E.T. again. <laughs> Phoning home, well done. Uh, absolutely, Eric, I, I totally agree. And again, all of those options there, I think you're right. Especially, you know, as you mentioned, each HomePod has an accelerometer in and it knows when you move it and it does that tuning. It tunes the tweeters and the bass and it you know, tries to figure out where it is in the room. And as I said, right now, they are my go-to speakers when listening to music. Right now, they sound amazing and, and make everything else sound just terrible, actually. So I'm loving them. Yeah, I never thought of that whole burning Thing. But I don't know if that's just the, the. I don't know if that is speakers or whether it's actually something to do with just our ears acclimatizing, like we said. I mean, yeah. maybe that's true. Maybe there's truth to that. I mean, I guess if these speakers are actually, you know, kind of using the room acoustics to in order to give the best sound. And what I think what Eric is suggesting is you should just blast some Metallica through them, and you know <laughs> that'll sort them out. Well, yeah, and I think there is some of that just getting accustomed to it. I am so used to the Echo Studios, which, as I said, when I switch back to them now, it sounds like there's a pillow held over them. They sound sort of <laughs> yes, muffled. That's exactly it. That is muddy. exactly it, yeah. Uh, so switching between the two, yeah. But, um, yeah, they are very nice speakers. Also, uh, E.T., just to say apologies for shooting down all your balloons. Uh, had nothing to do with us. Right, moving on. Um, let's get an email from Ian. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Oh, do you know what else the news? Come on. Uh, right, we've got an email from Ian on a similar topic. Hello. Thanks for the recent episodes on the upcoming Victor Reader Stream and the Apple HomePod. I found them very timely and helpful. My Victor Reader Stream 2 has been acting up for some time now, probably due to having been dropped too many times. Any sharp movement or even just pressing one of the buttons will cause it to crash. That has been quite frustrating, particularly as it loses track of what podcast was playing and where it was in the podcast. In the meantime, I finally made the move to a smartphone, so I've gradually shifted my podcast and internet radio listening to the iPhone. But, as Stephen has noted, that puts an additional drain on the phone's battery and isn't the best solution. So I've been wondering about a good long-term solution that preserves my phone's battery but still lets me conveniently listen to the shows that I enjoy. 
If the new Victor Reader had come out before I purchased an iPhone, the decision would have been obvious. Instead, I was contemplating getting an iPad just for the podcasts and streams, but I wasn't convinced that would be the best solution. It turns out that I mainly listen to this content at home, so I don't really need a mobile solution, at least not as much as I used to. Once I realised that, the HomePod Mini became the natural solution. Although it's not perfect, it meets most of my needs and is much easier on the wallet than the other options. (coughs) If again I find myself in need of frequent mobile podcast listening, I would certainly consider the new Victor Reader, but for now I can't see myself justifying the expenditure. Perhaps that decision may change depending on what features get added, but for now, I'm quite happy using a HomePod Mini. So, thanks for covering the HomePod and new Victor Reader that helped me make up my mind. Ian with a cane. P.S. Glad Sean is able to join the show again. Oh, oh thank you with a cane. I like that. That's really good. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. Um, yeah, I must admit, I mean, there's lots of other ways that you could do it. Of course, you could buy a secondhand or renewed iPhone SE, or, you know, you could do it that way, you know, rather than going out and spending money on say something like an ipad um it's it's tricky though because my partner did exactly the same thing she bought an ipad purely for playing audiobooks and, and, and media and things like that um you know it doesn't leave the house and yeah. you could argue a smart speaker is by far the most accessible the most affordable way to play anything like that especially if it's not leaving the house it's fantastic but there is something about the yeah, you know, the iPad and the, the iPhone just can do so many other things. It's just such a Swiss army knife of tools and, and utilities for us that it does make it very tempting, I must say. Yeah. I mean, and of course, we've also got the Sense player, which we're still waiting to learn more about. <laughs> I mean, again, I'd love to hear from him on this. I want them on the show and I think they will come on. And I think, you know, it's not, I don't think it's out yet. So I think that's maybe why they're holding back. But, um, I am really keen to get Hims on here to talk about the Sense Player because it seems that there's lots of, of different devices in this space now. So, look, the more we know, the, the better informed we are, right? And it's not like you can just walk into a Best Buy and figure this stuff out. It, you have to you have to learn about it on shows like this, on places like this, where you know we can talk about it. Um, so, yeah, it's really interesting. Right, I want to get another voicemail in uh, because we have lots of voicemails in as well as emails. So let's go to one of those. Hi guys, my name is Alexandra. Um, hey. Right, it, it's the first time I'm leaving a message like this, so I'm sorry, just a bit nervous. But anyway, oh, I just be. want to say, talk about Ira, because that's something that I'm really passionate about. So I've been um, on the legacy plan with Ira since he <laughs> came to the UK in 2018. And I was paying there about the price between... Uh, let's say 93 when the pound was, um, you know, fluctuated, uh, when it was in a good position and then, uh, up to 110, that was for 400 minutes on a pilot class plan. Now, obviously when the changes happened, um, we had no choice, but to migrate to one of the current plans, which for us, me and my husband uh, were obviously much higher than what we've been paying until now. So at the moment, we pay £159 for 300 minutes. Um, even even so, um, the first cycle when I was charged, when we were charged, um, it was actually 166 Um And then when I challenged Ira or people at Ira about this, they were like, well, it's... Um, 
fluctuation of the pound and you know that was never told to me i mean imagine if netflix increased the price for seven pounds per month and wouldn't take any any kind of responsibility or any even any notice prior to that because it was told very clearly to me last month that um, it's going to be 159 so I don't think that's right and I don't think there's other things that you've discussed uh, at nauseam so I'm not going to uh, you know things that I would sort of I feel take takes advantage of us in that way and you may think I'm being dramatic And that unfortunately get cut off. I don't know why. Um, but uh, yes, the, the, the voicemail does go on actually, and we'll it will we'll come back to that actually because we are just running out of time. So that rather rather, <laughs> rather helpfully cut, did cut off that voicemail. It's as if my system knows we're running out of time. Even the computer. Maybe this is what ChatGPT does now. It just takes over the computer and says, "Right, Stephen, you run out of time on the show, so you have to." AI knows best. Yeah, yeah but, but this, this this of course is the conversation we were having around Ira and you know its future on the, the Saturday episode, which was really interesting with uh, with a good friend of mine, Ian Hamilton, we had a really interesting conversation about all that. And I will say we got lots of interesting feedback on it, and that was just one example of that. So we'll, we will definitely come back to this topic, I promise, and we'll, we'll get the rest of that voicemail, and because I, I did hear it beforehand, and it was a very interesting comment that was made, so we will come back to that. But um, yeah, essentially, the, the thrust of it being... This is a service which a lot of people rely on, and suddenly, you know, a lot of people are feeling like the rug's been pulled because of the increase in price as of next year, as of this year. I, if you're buying, a, 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 you know, buying this, this buying today, I don't quite understand the, the fluctuation in the, the currency conversion. I, 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 why should that affect it? It's either a set price, as she said. If you're quoted a price of 159, whatever currency yeah. you're in, whatever country, then that should be it, surely. Yeah. Anyway, we're out of time today. Um, it's been a lot of fun, Mr. F. Great to have you here. It's great to be here, and it's great to have you guys as part of this particular coverage for AMI. Thank you very much. Oh, well, listen, we, we do what we're told. That's how it works. Well, to <laughs> um, we'll be back tomorrow with Stephen, lots do you more. Wanna, do you want to come to Vienna? <laughs> yes, please! Of course I do. Yes, please. Anything at all. Um, I'll stay in terrible hotels. I don't care. Um, but no. Oh. I, it's not a terrible. Someone's complaining. I, I would never complain. You, I have to tell you, it's so funny because I know our good friend Mark. He loves a good hotel. Mm. Um, I... I think we're in a lovely hotel. I'm it's, perfectly it's honest. Perfectly fine. It's, it's more than perfectly fine, as far as I'm concerned. Um, Sean would love it because he can sit in the shower all night. Anyway, look, we are at a time. Room service. We need to go. Uh, so uh, we uh. are gone, but we will be back tomorrow from the Zero Project Conference here in Vienna, Austria. Sean's back with us. Mr. S back with us tomorrow. Lots more conversations coming up in tomorrow's show. Keep in touch. Love Double Tap? Did you know we're on the TV too? Check out brand new episodes of Double Tap TV on AMI-TV every Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern. Or binge on all episodes online at ami.ca forward slash Double Tap. We're also on YouTube. Search for Double Tap to catch our episodes there too. I'm Margaret Shepard of the AMI podcast, Tripping On Air. Every month, my co-host Alex Hajar and I spill the tea on what it's really like to live with MS. Watch Tripping On Air on YouTube or download wherever you get your pods.